All right, what's up everybody? Um, this is Justin here, and uh, we're doing something a little different today in our studio, which is my kitchen. And, and it's amazing. It is. Um, but this past Sunday, we uh, we had our friend Caleb Heitzen speak, and he uh, was awesome. But what was not awesome was the, the sound system that didn't record it. And so uh, normally we would just kind of re-record it, but... Given the circumstances and and Caleb's awesome willingness to do this, we decided to do something different and just kind of talk through this passage, the first I am passage about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Um, and it's coming up in our reading plan this week, so we decided to just kind of talk it over and uh, talk through the context of what he was saying on Sunday, but also just kind of flesh it out a little bit to help you see kind of what it looks like to think of this passage in the context of story. So say hello, Caleb. What's up, guys? How is everyone today? I'm hearing you guys respond back to me right now. They're so good. Thanks for saying hi back. That's awesome. They are so good. Um, So, Caleb, you've spoken twice here at Restoration, um, but not a lot of people know your backstory. Can you give us a little insight into your your life, your family, just so we know Yeah. So... uh, I'm married to Shannon, my beautiful wife. She's a NICU nurse at UK. Uh, don't know how she does it. She's more of the uh, shepherd or pastor in the family than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a baby boy, Micah, our first son. Uh, gosh, he's going on six months old on the 27th of this nice. month. So what is that? Seven days away or something like that. Yeah. So that's that's pretty crazy. And I think I said six months old. Uh, what else? What else? I'm an Asbury Seminary graduate. Uh, that doesn't really mean anything other than I paid a lot of money to get a degree. Yeah, and, and you uh, know a bunch of stuff. And I know a bunch of stuff that's sometimes useful. <laughs> uh, went to UK. Gosh, what else? I grew up in the hills of eastern Kentucky, so storytelling is like in my blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't tell you half the stories that I've probably heard, though, unfortunately, unless we're just like sitting around a campfire. That's so, a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. Well, that's awesome. Um, so... Uh, you spoke this past weekend. We're in a series called "I Am." It's about um, about the Gospel of John, and specifically these "I Am" statements um, that Jesus makes. And John is so uh, intent on us understanding Jesus's identity and that He is what God looks like. He is the picture of the invisible God, the representation of God's character and purpose in the world. And so, these "I Am" statements are. Um, they're given to us as a means for us to see and experience what God is actually like. So what I wanted to do is I'm going to read through this passage and then talk to Caleb a little bit about not only what he talked on Sunday, but just how he arrived at what he talked about on Sunday as we're thinking through scriptures and whatnot. So I'm going to read this. and It's kind of long, so stick with me here. John chapter 6, starting verse 22. And it says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum to look for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. 
Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he told them. No one comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we knew? How can he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father has drawn him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except the one who comes from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died, and this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. All right, we'll stop there. That's verse 51. So one of the things I love doing um, just in life in general, I love talking about the Bible with you because you think about the Bible um, very um, uniquely, I think, in terms of this. (laughs) Differently. Differently, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. In a good way, in a very good way. Um, And you have a heart for story. If you don't know, he has a a website with videos, story.org, which is awesome. Check that out. Um, where he tells the story of Scripture in, in, in unique ways on video. But when you teach, and, and when you're, we're talking about the Bible, you see this in the context of story first. And so you tend to look at elements of it the way that a systematic look, you know, reading of Scripture, if it's just looking for the, the, the I's we need to dot and the T's we need to cross, we tend to kind of leave that out. And so I love talking to you about the Scripture. So tell me just a, a little bit at first how you understand the scripture as story. Yeah, so I, I've, I've got to preface it with this. I, I grew up uh, heavily into systematic theology, and it's not, it's not a bad thing, but I, I think systematic theology has to be understood uh, under the umbrella of story, mm-hmm. or you can kind of come to these really crazy conclusions. 
about certain things. So uh, I don't know, a couple years ago, three years ago, uh, I'd gotten to the point in my life where systematic theology just was not, it just felt dead to me for some reason. And uh, kind of praying through all of it, kind of arrived at this thing called story. And I'm like, okay, I want to I want to understand scripture as story. So what's the story? I mean, the scripture's full of stories from beginning to end. And the conclusion that I had kind of come to was that uh, the Bible is a story that's a creation to new creation story. I'm like, okay, I think I get that. So in Genesis all the way to Revelation, we're moving from creation to new creation. How do these stories fit into that narrative of things? And funny enough, all of them fit uh, into that narrative of things. You've got you've got the creation, you've got fall, you've got Israel, who was essentially a creation to new creation when Jesus comes, and then Jesus is obviously creation to new creation. That's kind of what Jesus leads us mm. to. And then we end with Revelation, which is the new creation, the new Jerusalem. Uh, so I kind of try to approach everything from that per- that particular perspective. And that, for whatever reason, for me at least, is more life-giving to me than sitting around and trying to come up with all these different doctrinal things. Not that those aren't needed. It's just not necessarily life-giving for me. And I suspect there's probably a lot of people in the world that that doesn't necessarily give them life either. So for me, this is just another way to approach things uh, yeah. that, that's helpful. Yeah. Well, I love it because it's not... Um, you don't see the scriptures as a collection of many different books and many different ideas that you hope to follow or agree or disagree with. It's a story that we um, are enveloped within. And I'm I'm with you. It's freeing to see um, Jesus as a storyteller, as, as not only the culmination of the story, but as himself as a storyteller, it says in Hebrews, he's the author and perfecter of our mm-hmm. faith, that he's literally the one who is has written this story and the one who's lived the story for us, which I love that. Yeah, so, and, and I would add, he used parables to teach people or use stories yes, to yes. teach people. So there's there's probably something about that that Jesus knows that maybe we don't know. And Absolutely. as simple as stories seem, there's probably something super powerful uh, in them. So it's it's something worth investing in. Absolutely. And you know, that's the the thing about the Gospels too, is that we're, we're introduced to Jesus not as a collection of ideas, not as a systematic teaching of what he believed about different issues, but as a story itself. All four mm-hmm. Gospels are intent on telling very intentional stories about him. And so we're, we're at our best in Scripture when we can um, understand not just the flat reading of, of, of application and this is what it means, but really what does this mean to the greater story? And what does it mean to my story? What does mm-hmm. it mean to who I yeah. am? So. So John 6, you looked at this on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, the story of Jesus being confronted about, uh, you know, after he's trying to get away, he's trying to, after feeding the 5,000, he's trying to get away from the crowds and they come anyway, and it sounds like they're, they're wanting more signs, they're wanting more things. But what I loved about what you were talking about was that you talked about this in the context of, of the whole book of John. So, so tell me how, as you, we read this passage here, how do we come to understand what we just read in the context of the greater um, story that John himself is telling in the gospel. Yeah, so for me, I kind of, it's funny enough, as much as I might dog on systematic theology, I have a systematic process for understanding story. Uh, 
I start with the setting, like what's kind of what's what's going on, what's happening, what are the cultural assumptions? I mean, what what's going on? What's the story behind the story? Because unless you understand the story behind the story, sometimes the story isn't going to make sense. So Jesus in this passage talks about manna from heaven, which that's that instantly points to the story of Moses and the Israelites out in the wilderness. Uh, so for, for John, John would have known this as a, as a Jewish man. Jesus would have known this as a Jewish man. Uh, yeah. So you've got to have kind of an, under, an understanding of what is going on there to start to make sense of some of this stuff. And actually in this particular uh, passage, the people go on to complain against Jesus. Uh, like, Jesus, who, who, who are you to say that you're the bread of life? And they even talk about uh, Moses fed millions, you only fed... 10,000, and Jesus kind of correctly points out, using the previous story, actually Moses didn't feed the people. It was God who fed the people. So let's get that right. And that, that starts to shape attention yeah. in the story, which is another part of storytelling is there's always a tension to be resolved. And uh, in this, this particular story, it's you can eat all day and eventually you're still going to die. So what is this whole bread of life thing actually? Like what is John talking about? What's Jesus talking about. So for me, that's the that's the start. Like, what's the story behind the story? And if you start to understand the story behind the story, some other things start to fall in place. Mm-hmm. So the setting and the tension. Yeah. And I, I would say the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's actually in this story? I mean, there's this crowd of 10,000, 15,000 people. Scripture says 5,000, but that's 5,000 men. And when this stuff was originally written down men unfortunately were only the ones included in a, yeah. in a number count uh, but it's it's probably 15,000 people or more if, so with if, women and children yeah when they're having lots of babies back then, yeah so. lots of babies that's right yeah uh, I've got one and I'm satisfied with one maybe two Any, anyway anyway that'll preach don't publicize that actually yeah. it's on a podcast it's gonna be public yeah exactly. uh, anyway uh, yeah so you've got to ask yourself the question back then especially uh, Man, what causes twenty thousand people to follow someone? Mm. I mean, th- that's a that's these people as a whole is a character in this story. There's a story right there, even in yeah. that twenty thousand people deciding to follow Jesus along the sea, even though he's because of some things going on in his life at the moment, mm-hmm. trying to get away from the uh, crowds. Man, there's there's just something crazy yeah. going on. You don't see that today. You don't see twenty thousand people following someone around the country. Like yeah. it's just not a. Not a thing. Yeah. Unless you're a sports team, I guess. I yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I love that you did too is you looked at it not just in the, co- in the context of the Gospel of John, but in the context of of the Gospels. Because you see this in a story like this in Matthew, and mm-hmm. we're making the assumption that this is the same story that Matthew is yeah. recording in yep. a different way here in John. Um, and in the Matthew story, you were pointing out the detail that this is right after John the Baptist was murdered. And mm-hmm. this is Jesus' yeah. first cousin. This is... Um, someone he grew probably grew up with, knowing, being very close to, and is probably experiencing in his humanity uh, a, a great deal of grief from that. So mm-hmm. talk about how yeah. you see that in the context of, of what was happening to Matthew and bringing that whole story together. Yeah, so like, I don't know, you could traditionally approach this story as, okay, Jesus is the bread of life, we trust in him for our salvation, he's the only one that can meet that need. And, and that could totally be the end of this passage but for me that's just the shallow like okay i get it it's straight to the point but (laughs) there's just like this this like uh, the hanging dots 
uh, I'm like, I don't know. There, there's got to be more to it than just that. Uh, there, there's got to be something that speaks to the speaks to the soul. And with this particular story, I think Matthew tells a story too. And I think this feeding of the five thousand is the same feeding uh, of the five thousand in Matthew. And one of the backstories, one of the things, part of the setting that's going on is Jesus has just lost John the Baptist. I mean, not from a natural death; from his friend has been beheaded, and it's not just a friend. This was a close yeah. friend of family. Friends, so it's, I mean, it's like losing a family member to murder, and that's pretty heavy stuff. If you've ever had yeah. a family member who's lost their life either by an accident or unfortunately murder or something like that, just they've gone too early for whatever reason, it cuts to your core. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it just it, it hurts. And Jesus is 100% human, 100% divine. It's not 50 50, he's, he's both. And because of that, Jesus experiences some of the same things that we experience. Mm-hmm. So that detail in the story makes me okay, go, okay, Jesus is hurting. He's experiencing pain like the rest of us. That's that's a whole other story in and of itself, right? Yeah. That's a sermon yeah. in and of itself. But it's like, okay, man, Jesus feels what I feel when I lose someone. That's that's deep stuff. That's, that's really unique about... Uh, that's a unique fact about God. That's just so interesting that Jesus can experience the same things that we can experience. And then he can speak truth into those things because he's experienced it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, so all that's happening. It's kind of like, okay, Jesus says, you got to get away. You got to go to a solitary place. I'm going to get in a boat. The reason he gets in a boat is to try to get away from everyone. And, uh, he goes to the other side of the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, and the people follow. They follow him to this remote place, which sets up another thing in this particular story. Where, where they've gone, there's not food enough for 15,000 people, 20,000 people. You could take all the villages combined along the shore there, and there would not be enough bread. There would not be enough fish yeah. for the miracle that he performs uh, in the story about feeding the 5,000. And that's just another one of those okay, I can't systematize that. I can't put that into an official doctrine, but if I approach it from story, oh man, Jesus is about to make the impossible happen. And we get these different angles of things because of Matthew, because of John, and uh, because of other stories that are that are told throughout Scripture, some other things happening, and it just starts to form this really tense situation. Mm-hmm. Jesus is suffering from a loss of a friend. The people are suffering because they need people healed and they're hungry. And it's like, oh man, what's about to happen in this moment? God shows up in the tense moments. Yeah. And that's the, you know, it, when I would look at this formerly, it would be, okay, what's the point of this passage? The point is that Jesus is the bread of life and he meets every need and fulfills my spiritual hunger and whatnot. Um, but then in, the, in a different sense, um, I, I told you it was, it was very impactful Sunday to think about Jesus in grief, knowing that there were several people in our church body who are experiencing grief right now, mm-hmm. and how you could read this passage and understand facts about Jesus, but then meet Jesus in the story, the fact that he does experience the same sort of pains and heartaches. It's like if 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 you didn't know my wife and and you said, "Well, what's your wife like?" and I just gave you a list of facts about 
my wife. (laughs) Um, You would you would know some things about her, but if I really wanted you to tell you what my my wife was like, I would tell you stories about her. Mm -hmm. I would tell you stories about her past and funny things and tragic things, and and I would go through that um, from the context of story because we we grow to really know not just about somebody, but we grow to know them through story. And mm-hmm. what what you're talking through here and what we're seeing in this passage is that we're not just learning about Jesus in this. If we shape this through um, at the lens of story, we can not just know about Jesus. We can know Jesus in this story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he goes on, uh, even though he's in the middle of his own grief, he goes on to bless some bread and bless some fish and feed this multitude. Had I been in that situation and I just lost someone dear to me because they had been murdered. Yeah. Like straight up murdered. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to deal with anyone. But because of who Jesus is, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is as God, he was able to have compassion, uh, able to do what God does, which is, mm-hmm. I think I said in the Sermon Sunday, that's what makes God God and us not God. God has the ability to... Yeah have compassion when it's impossible to have compassion. Yeah. To show kindness when it's impossible to show kindness. To to feed the multitude when it's literally impossible to feed yeah. the multitude. I mean, is, this is this whole creation to new creation thing. God's the author of life. He can cause new life to be born out of what we would call death or inconvenience or any number of things. Mm-hmm. That's what God does. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful, man. Talked a little bit about because um, we're we're connecting the dots with uh, several times in the story to the story of of, of Exodus where there's manna um, and there's the people you know you have a crowd of people here in the wilderness with Jesus and which harkens back to the story of this multitude and we touched on it a little bit um, from Exodus but how how can you see the, in this story explain the context in the greater story of how Jesus is connecting these dots and and how that matters um, in terms of how we even understand and go back and understand the Old Testament. Yeah, so I don't know. There, <laughs> it's funny. There's a few. There's a few schools of thought about the use of the Old Testament, right? Some mm-hmm. people are like, no, don't use it at all. It's just a distraction. Some people come up with some crazy ideas yes. based on the Old Testament, and it it's funny. Like when this story was happening we didn't the new testament wasn't around right yeah john wasn't written matthew wasn't written the gospels weren't written Mm -hmm. all they had was the old testament so jesus quotes from the old testament a lot Mm -hmm. on things to try to explain things that are going on so in this particular story going back to the people in the wilderness here's a group of people who've been free from slavery for one month about 30 days and they're wandering around, they're hungry, they don't know how they're going to survive, they don't know what's next. All they know is that it seems like there's not enough food to feed this massive, massive crowd, a lot larger than the 10,000 or 15,000 that were there that day with Jesus, and they get things backwards a little bit. This particular crowd does, this new crowd. They say, well, Moses fed these people, Jesus, like... You being the bread of life, I'm, we're not sure we're tracking. We're not sure we understand <laughs> what, what you're talking about. And Jesus, again, uh, rightly so, says, actually, Moses doesn't feed them. The Father does. The Father provides for them. And uh, I'm working on behalf of the Father as the Son. Listen to what I'm saying. I am the bread of life. And it's not just this physical sustaining thing. It's this 
spiritual and mental and emotional and holistic. I'm the bread of life. I bring life because of the Father. The mm-hmm. Father sent me. Uh, and for some people that day, it went over their heads, right? Mm-hmm. And then some people that day were going, huh, there's something interesting about this. I get the connection to the Old Testament. I get that the Father or God provided for the people. And it wasn't Moses providing for the people. It was God sustaining them. And it wasn't. It was more than just a food thing. These were people who wandered around in the wilderness for forty years. God sustained them for forty years until they got to the promised land, or yeah. what we might call the new creation for us in the in the future. Uh, I think there are some people that got that, and some people that didn't get that. And it's just interesting that Jesus points back to that particular story to try to reveal this mm. to some of the people and some of the disciples that were there that day. We get it. We're in. Let's do it. And some of them. We don't get it. We're out. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 really interesting. Yeah. That's what you read right after this. He says, yeah. "Eat my flesh and drink my blood," and that's yeah. what it is. And then that's where everyone is saying, "Dude, that's weird." Mm-hmm. I'm, a lot of people said, "I'm out," and even the disciples say, "Say you know, you know." Some he asked them, "Are you going to desert me as well?" And and um, yeah. And I and I, the last thing I would add, I guess, to all of this, especially in regards to the Old Testament, is. To maybe approach it like Jesus approaches mm-hmm. it, and for, for me personally, I'm, I'm a firm believer in story. Jesus uses the story found in the Old Testament to illustrate what's happening mm-hmm. now, and he's not using it to necessarily uh, predict things or shape things. He's using it to illustrate what's going on. Mm-hmm. He's not formalizing some official doctrine. Right here, it's he's just pointing to what God is like, which is what this whole I Am series yeah. really is. Who is God? Well, he's is he the guy that just led the people around in the wilderness for 40 years and let them suffer? Uh, was mean to them? Uh, was vindictive? Like that, That's the picture that sometimes gets painted uh, about God of the Old Testament. It's like, no, actually God was the one who provided for them, who brought them in yeah. to the promised land. And that's just a completely different image of who... God is. Absolutely. And I think Jesus is pointing to that. Yeah. Jesus is, instead of being the end of the God of the Old Testament, we can look back at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus now and understand everything rightly. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I'm passionate about is people read through some very difficult passages in the in the Old Testament is that, um, you know, we, we when we go back and see Jesus as the lens... And Jesus as the means by which we understand the character and purpose of God, it transforms the way we see the Old Testament. It transforms the stories. We see so many stories that that echo into the life of Jesus that that show kind of what's coming ahead. But then looking back from the Gospels into the Old Testament, um, it reshapes entirely the way um, we see it and, 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 and becomes even more valuable than it would be otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. kind of a, a, a religious text that's happening there. So it works out that uh, we are in a, a John reading plan through this whole uh, season of Lent that's leading up to Easter, and it works out that this week we're actually in this passage. So one of the things we ask the folks that are um, w- walking through this reading plan with us through the book of John is to ask three questions. There's a question, what does it say about God? And then what does this say about us, kind of in light of that question? And then the, the third thing is how might we live um, in light of this. So if we take this passage and just lay those three questions on top of this, how how could we answer those? So first of all, like, what do you think this says about the character of God that we yeah. see in Jesus in this story? 
Yeah, so with this particular story, and, and Sunday I kind of related some, some funny food stories that were actually super significant for me at one point in life, uh, having traveled to this village and these people who, who didn't just give us their crumbs, they didn't give us their leftovers, they give us the best of what they had, the, the best food that they had at the time uh, because they were that hospitable. I, I see this played out with Jesus here. I see this played out with God. I don't think God's satisfied with just giving us crumbs off the table. Hmm. Uh, God wants to give us his best. God wants to give us Jesus' best. And there's just something significant about that. Hmm. If God's the God of the universe, God can have whatever God wants, period. Yeah. <laughs> God is God. Like There's nothing we can do to influence that but god chooses the best for us Mm. that says something about who god is yeah if god is choosing the best for us that means god cares about us god loves us god sent jesus the the son comes to us the father sends the son and that's just huge Mm -hmm. that's a different story than what gets told most of the time outside of christian circles absolutely absolutely Uh, and that's like you know it's it's the god of abundance in in a way that we don't understand abundance in our world. Correct. And that God yeah. is always giving us abundance. Um, but yet there are times that it looks like maybe could align with how the world sees abundance, but there are times when that abundance looks nothing like what the world understands as abundance. Yeah, absolutely. And we, <laughs> it's funny with this particular story, I've had the opportunity to travel several different places in the world, some pretty poor places. And I've seen these people living lives of abundance. And sometimes we associate abundance with prosperity. Mm-hmm. We associate abundance with having enough food. Mm-hmm. Uh, those sorts of things are having the roof over our head, all, all, all that jazz. But in this particular story, when Jesus gets to, to the end of it, I am the bread of life. You've got to remember that Jesus is traveling around with a bunch of disciples who they didn't always have a place to lay their head yeah. at night. And they didn't always have the, the food that they needed, but there was something about Jesus who, for me personally, I think Jesus was always seeking out life, even in the midst of death, even in the, even with the loss of friends, or even when he was faced with the cross, mm-hmm. he was seeking out life. And there's something abundant about that in particular. Yeah, It's not the stuff, it's the Jesus brings hope. Yeah. And not just a little hope, a lot of hope, uh, a lot of peace, a lot of joy, uh, those sorts of things. That's awesome, man. So in light of that, of what we understand about God being this God of abundance um, that is always pouring out himself, not holding back um, from giving of himself, um, you see in the story that he's, he's both the giver and the gift. Um, that, that's, that's amazing to, to experience that. So what does that in light, what does that say about us? What does that say about the way we see ourselves in light of, of who God is? Yeah, gosh. Um, I think her name was Rachel. Uh, Rachel said it better than I could say it here or I could even said it Sunday. Uh, Jesus as the bread of life, uh, understanding that being able to receive that means I don't have to or we don't have to rely on everything else that the world would try to provide us, hmm. uh, that other people would say about us or uh, what experience that we've had in life would say about us. It's Jesus as the bread of life who defines us, who fills us. And Ra- Rachel said it better than I could ever say it. So kudos to her. Mm. And w- was it Rachel? I believe that yeah, was her name. Yeah, 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 yeah. She gave a testimony yeah. on Sunday. Uh, 
And it's just, I mean, yeah, if, if we get that, if we understand that. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll tell one more story real quick. Uh, I think of some of the uh, people who live on the streets here in Lexington, some of the happiest people I've ever seen Absolutely. sometimes. And it's, like, how can you be happy? You're constantly struggling for food. You're constantly wrestling with something. You're always looking for a roof over your head, especially when the weather's bad out. But you, like, I have these interactions with uh, some of these folks week to week, and it's they've got smiles on their face. I'm like, how do you have a smile on your face? Yeah, and it's always Jesus. Yeah, they, they've they've tapped into this idea that Jesus is the bread of life, that Jesus brings abundance, mm-hmm. and it's not what we have or don't have. Uh, that brings us abundance. It's Jesus who brings us abundance, and it's the spiritual, emotional, mental, and sometimes physical yeah. uh, thing. So for, for us, I, I think if we can tap into that, we can understand that that Jesus actually is enough, as cliche as that might, might sound. Yep. Uh, I think that's huge. That, yeah. that, that changes our outlook. Yeah, and funny enough, this is completely random related to this. But I, I was listening to a different podcast this last week, and it was something to the effect, if you're in a positive state of mind, you think better, you make decisions 30% better, or hmm. you use your mind 30% better than you normally do if you're in a bad state of mind. Yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, if I'm understanding that Jesus brings me peace, brings me joy, even if I'm a, in a super sucky situation, 30% of the time I'm going to make a better decision about whatever situation I'm in. Yeah. Okay, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, the opposite of abundance is scarcity. And scarcity is something that mm-hmm. brings fear. Um, and our world is run on fear. Oh, yeah. Our world is run on the idea that there's not enough to go around, so we have to fight for it. We have to fight for, for enough um, attention, enough... Um, of uh, enough stuff, and so that when we live under this scarcity mentality, this fear-oriented uh, mentality, that we're always living away from the abundance of of God in that. Because when there's fear, we can recognize in ourselves that we're we're living in the sense that that there's that God's not going to come through. That there's not enough to go around, even in maybe worldly um, scarcity, but but even in that, we can find. Like he's talking about with the, the homeless folks that you interact with on a weekly basis, um, there's there's abundance there. So, so yeah, I think there's. Go ahead. Yeah, and in his story, funny enough, even though there were only a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, there were leftovers. Yeah, like baskets yeah. full of leftovers. Yeah, and I, I don't know that for me, if if I'm storytelling and I'm thinking about this from a story, like a storied perspective, it's almost like. God was just taking a, po- a stick and saying, poking at us like, hey, look, see, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. And so much more. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, you know, what does it say about God? What's it say about us? And then, you know, what, how might we live in light of this? What's, what do you think is a, maybe a tangible practice in our lives yeah. that we could take from this story um, in response to, to how we understand God and ourselves in light of this? Yeah, man, that's a big question. <laughs> uh, I should have thought about this beforehand. I right? like big questions. Yeah. No, this, this is good stuff. Oh, gosh, how to practically live this out. I think for me, personally, it's this realization that I live in a consumeristic society. Hmm. And that's a, that, I don't know, that's a huge battle. And if you've ever, ever had the opportunity to travel 
you've seen this. Um, you've seen that we tend to define ourselves by our stuff and what we have and what we don't have, whether we're able to pay the bill or not. That's kind of how we define life sometimes. Yeah. And life is so much more than that. And maybe instead of using the word abundance, God doesn't want us just to survive. God wants us to thrive. Yeah. But that doesn't mean necessarily material hmm. things. I remember a, a, a time in my life where it was just this really dark time. And I, I can tell you, there won't be enough stuff in the world to make me happy Yeah. in that time. But I, but I remember getting into scripture, reading these stories, and that just breathing new life. Yeah. And to me, it kept, it kept me, it kept me going. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, God loves me. God doesn't give up on me. God has a plan for my life now and for the future. It's mm-hmm. not just a either or thing. It's, it's, it's a both and thing. And the feeding of the five thousand thing, it, I don't think it was just a one time event. It was pointing to something to come, which is yeah. this kind of going back to the very beginning. This new creation. Yeah. Thing when you when you think about uh, Genesis and God creating this perfect world and God being the author of all life, I fully believe we're going to get back to that. Yeah. One day, mm-hmm. and it wasn't that God gave us everything we needed that makes the Genesis story so mm-hmm. special. It's that God walked with us hmm. in the flesh. Yeah. So I, I I look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, in in this particular moment, God in the flesh was, look, guys. I can give you everything you need, but hey, I literally sat down here with you because I care about you all and I love you all versus going up on the mountainside and being by myself because I was hurt. Yeah. To me, that's that's huge, and I think that's something I can always keep in the back of my mind on a on a daily basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I'd add too that you know if God is a God of abundance, then I think a, a really clear practice would be generosity and that mm, yeah. when I um, when I understand in my life that there's always enough to go around um, that God is my provision will provide for me and I don't live in fear then I'm I'm okay to to be generous with my time I'm okay to be generous with my uh, resources with my talents and and you know I'm, this is not the hey preachers asking for more money thing. Right. Because there's you can give a crap ton of money to the church and still not be generous. Um, but but it's it's a heart issue of if I understand that God is truly this God of abundance and he's pouring all of himself out to me, that the riches of heaven are available to me, then I can be generous whether I have a little bit of money or, or not to the people around me. And I think generosity makes Christians stick out like a sore thumb in a world oh, of yeah. fear and, yeah. and scarcity when we're able to to be giving with our lives to our neighbors and to love our neighbors in very tangible ways through that generosity. So Yeah, and I here, I'll give you one more parable, one more story. Ha! Uh, right? Yeah. So I've heard this parable to, told a different way that really it, it affected me in a good way. Uh, and there, there's this guy that tells the story. He says the people are there waiting on Jesus and the disciples and they're hungry, right? Kind of kind of how the story starts off. And Jesus sends out the disciples to gather up all the food that they can. And they obviously, they just find the couple fish and they find the few loaves of bread. And then Jesus blesses the bread, blesses 
the fish, and it's just this huge multitude of food that can feed thousands. And then instead of passing it out, the disciples and Jesus start eating all this food, and by the time, by the time they were all finished, there wasn't even a crumb left to feed hmm. the rest of the crowd. And maybe one of the practical ways to apply this story in our life is maybe God has abundantly blessed us. Hmm. And maybe it's, am I holding on to something that I could actually be giving to someone in need, or am I just keeping it Hmm. to myself? And it's just one of those, that's a different way to tell the story. And it's not necessarily like the biblical way to tell the story, but it was one of those, what did Jesus actually do with this stuff? He didn't just keep this little bit of provision for himself and the disciples. He multiplied it. And it's, okay, is there anything in my life that I can multiply yeah. for the sake of others? I don't that's know. Good. Maybe that's another way to... I love it, man. Another thing. I love it. Um, so I would I would say, if you're listening here today, um, to be thinking about those tangible practices as you're reading through the scriptures in John. Um, that's why I love what we talked about today. Just encourage you, don't just take the application approach of just this is what the scripture flatly says and this is what I'm supposed to learn with it. Like you're in English class. Step into the story and, and understand and experience Jesus in the story. Not just a checklist of facts about him and about the story, but really come to know um, the the God that we meet in Jesus here in the gospel. So Caleb, thanks so much for, yeah, for doing this. Awesome. And thanks for speaking on Sunday. This is really fun. We might just yeah. do this again. So yeah. All right, guys, we will see you on Sunday as we continue our I Am series. Uh, We'll be in John 8 with I Am the Light of the World, and I'm really pumped about that one. So can't wait to see you guys. Love you all. Peace. Peace.